let's, let's prepare our own hearts and souls and minds and body to receive word, to receive some of God's word for us this morning. So please stand um, as we're going to um, read from God's word. And I ask that maybe just listen for a phrase or a word that stands out or maybe the Spirit has for you this morning. The Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of John, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the chosen one glorified, and God is glorified as well. If God has been glorified, God will in turn glorify the chosen one, and will do so very soon. My little children, I won't be with you much longer. You will look for me, but what I said to the temple authorities, I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment love one another, and you're to love one another the way I loved you. This is how all will know that you are, you are my disciples, that you truly love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When was the last time you felt glory? Maybe for some of us it was like a, an athletic achievement, like last week. For some of us, like a long time ago, there was an athletic achievement. We've left that behind, but it, it was glorious. Uh, when did you feel glory? Have you ever said at a meal, like, oh, this is glorious? Have you ever looked up at the mountains, been on a trail, maybe you've been deep in a book, and just thought, this is glorious? Think about it for a moment. Really, see if you can find a moment in your life when you felt glory. My guess is that we are all thinking of different things because our understanding of glory has really disparate meanings. Some of it is victory. Some of it is like just this is pleasant and enjoyable. Some of it is beautiful. There's all kinds of ways that we think about the word glory. And in this moment, Jesus's words about glory are really specific. It's almost like a technical term that Jesus is saying that he's being glorified and that God is glorified. This is, uh, if, if you know the story of God, if you are familiar with the Bible, you can remember back to when Moses went up the mountain and saw the glory of God, like how to hide his face and he came down and he was shining afterwards. But there was a sense of like, you could see the glory. It was a thing that was almost tangible. That's this word, this idea, this glory, this uh, the, the definitions are kind of hard to get around because how do you describe the ineffable, right? But some have said this is, this is a, a divine mode of being that is on display. And so it is full of splendor, full of honor, full of power. That's this word glory in this place. So when when Jesus is glorified, I think we can say there's a, there's a revealing of the glory of God. It's not getting more because how do you increase what is immeasurable? But, but there's a revealing. There's, there's in this moment an illumination of or a magnifying of God's glory in Jesus. So in Jesus here, in this specific moment, the splendor, the honor, the power of God are more clear to the world. 
And I think it's actually in a new way, a unique way in, in the story of God that's happening right here in, in a different way than maybe it has before. So we have the glory, but then we have the love. Jesus says, you know, love one another as I have loved you. Here's a new commandment, love one another. And if, again, if you, if you are steeped in the Bible as these folks were, you know that's, a not, that's not a new commandment. That's a really old commandment. Way back towards the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning of the story, God gives his people a commandment that says, love one another. The new part, though, is to love one another as Jesus says, as I have loved you. That's different. That's an addition, a little twist on it. Because they would have been familiar with, like, how do we love one another? Let's wrestle through that and kind of figure it out. Like, when you're a jerk or when I'm a jerk, like, how do we, how do, we do this? And Jesus adds just a little spin. Love as I have loved you. That's the new part. And I'm sure that the, the disciples would ponder, like, what does he mean by that? Just like if you're a Christian, if you've been doing this for a while, if you're new to this and you're kind of wondering, like, how do I go about this? We have to grapple with the question, like, what does it mean to love someone? Maybe you, you come back to the, like, early 90s, really, really major hit. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. No more. It's all the singing you're going to get out of me. Uh, but that's our question, right? Like, how, what is it? How do we do this? How do we actually love someone else? And then how do we do that, do that like Jesus did? If you talk to someone who's been a Christian for a long, long time, they are still asking this question. How do I do it? Because we, we enter the story, whether, whether you're coming day one or you've been here for 50 years, you enter this story and say, okay, what do I do? And here it says, love one another as I have loved you. So, okay, great. So you start to examine, how has God loved me? And if you take that journey, it never ends. You keep turning the diamond, you keep turning that jewel, and you see it in a, a new way. There's some new piece over and over and over that helps inform how we go and love other people. That command is timeless. We'll never arrive at the end of it. But I think what we can do is, is look at our own lives and say, okay, how have I experienced Jesus' love? How have I received that love from Jesus? And then I guess I'm, I can try to do that for other people. So I think the disciples did that. I think that they said, okay, Let's try this. Actually, try to do this, not just think about it, but but do it. So, how has Jesus loved us? The disciples were a pretty ragtag group of people. They're young. They were kind of like the C team, and Jesus came and recruited them to his his to be his people. So he gave them belonging. He saw them. He walked with them for three and a half years. He knew them. Really practically, he gave them food. Like, he fed them real, actual food. He taught them. He helped them come into their own in a new way. He, he made their hearts leap in their chests. All of these things, yeah. This is how Jesus loved. But I also think that at some point, one of them remembered 
that Jesus didn't say these words, love one another as I have loved you, like just in a vacuum. They weren't just walking down a road one day and out of nowhere Jesus says, hey, you know what? This is what you should do. Love one another as I loved you. Jesus said these words in the middle of a really, really important evening. What the Christian, uh, kind of the Christian tradition has called, uh, this is the Last Supper. They were in this room, eating this meal, and, and Jesus did some really important things with them. Things that communicated his love for them. So I think maybe one of the disciples, went, oh, what, what were we doing when Jesus said these words? Well, we were in this room, and, and Jesus had just, one, knelt as a servant, as a slave, and cleaned the road filth off of their feet. In this really uncomfortable reversal of roles, the leader, you know, kind of strips off his nicer outer garments and kneels down and gets, gets into the dirt in between their toes. And that was uncomfortable for them. And then... Jesus stands up, you can imagine, kind of washing his hands. They eat this meal together. And he, he offers them then this bread that he breaks and gives to them. And he pours out this wine for them. And he says things like, this is my body given for you. Eat it. And this is my, my blood poured out for you. Take it. Drink it. When you eat and drink, remember me. This really intimate moment that communicates to the Christian family the first communion. We say these same words every Sunday. So in these two, kind of these two really important and intimate moments, Jesus is communicating some love. And I think in them, he, he's saying, I give myself to you. First as a servant and then maybe as a savior. So how did Jesus love? He gave himself. Not in the sense of being diminished, but in the sense of being his full self, of standing at his proper stature, being full of who he is and was, and that included losing himself for the sake of others. If you know anything about Jesus, you know that he lost himself in the pain and suffering of humanity, in the joys and celebrations of people, regular people. Because being fully committed to people in all of our mess doesn't make Jesus less of himself. It's actually a core part of what makes him who he is. Theologian Frederick Niedner says it this way, Jesus loved truly by giving himself away, by losing himself. Genuine love always means losing oneself in another's arms, in another's laughter, in another's tears. But more, to love is to lose oneself and thereby to find oneself, to find one's true humanity. Such was and is the love of Jesus. He lost himself when he gave himself up for us. And I think that losing of self began in a new way, in a special way, in these words. If you look at the beginning of our passage, there's this weird little couple of words that don't make a lot of sense. This is, and after Judas went out, and then Jesus said... 
Judas was there in the room when all this was happening. He was one of the 12, and he left that special gathering to betray Jesus, to go find the people who wanted Jesus dead and say, hey, I know where he's going to be. Let's, let's go. And he did that for a bag of money. So in this moment, Jesus says, okay, Judas, go do what you're going to do. Judas stands up, walks out the door, and Jesus' losing turns to finding. And that a new, a deeper part of himself is revealed in a new way, a clear way. His losing turns to finding, and Jesus says the glorification begins now the illuminating, the magnifying of God's splendor, God's honor, God's power begins. Jesus losing himself and being found all at once in this type of love, this love that washed Judas's feet, that hands him the bread and the wine and says, this is my body given for you, Judas. My blood poured out for forgiveness of your sins, Judas. In this kind of love, the glory of God is revealed. Let that sink in for a minute. The glory of the eternal God is revealed as Jesus loves his betrayer and turns towards the cross where he will die. What kind of God is this? I want you to imagine something with me. If it's helpful for you to close your eyes, you can do that. But I just want you to picture one of the disciples. Maybe even John. I think that he put it all together, maybe. Maybe they're laying in bed. It's dark. Maybe they're replaying the whole thing. Still in shock of what's happened. Maybe he's remembering that last meal in that room, what Jesus was up to, all the stuff that he did. Maybe they remember sitting there and Jesus washing their feet. They remember the bread and the wine. They remember the glory revealed, illuminated, magnified. They remember that command to love as Jesus has loved, how confusing it was. Maybe this disciple replayed all of it. And I think, I hope, in a flash of that same glory, he remembered Judas. Remembered how Jesus washed Judas' feet. Gave him the broken bread and the poured out wine. Remembered these acts of love. I think he might have opened his eyes and seen the world new. Dripping in the love of God. I think he might well have jumped from his bed and ran into the night, searching Judas out. I hope he did. I hope he called until his voice was hoarse. I hope he knew in an unforgettable way that no matter what Judas or any of us have done, no matter what has been done to us, there is no getting so lost that Jesus will not lose himself in love to find you. 
This is the glory of God. I hope this disciple remembered. I hope that he saw, and I hope that he was transformed. And I hope that we are too. I hope that each of us at some point sees, even just for a moment, the glory of God alive in Jesus. And I hope that it sends you breathless down your own street in search of our very own versions of Judas. Not to dismiss the pain that they have caused or pretend that nothing happened or even to really trust them again, but to embrace this mysterious love and offer it This love that changes and transforms both the lover and the beloved. And I hope that we turn quietly to enter our own stories to search out the betrayer in each of us. The piece of us that slips into the night to go hide. I hope that we search this part of us out to return it to ourselves so that we can be whole again, restored Just as, I believe, Judas will be restored at that last feast, that Revelations, that that last book in the Bible in chapter 21 talks about this beautiful feast that will happen where there are no more tears, where mourning and pain will be no more. I believe, as again Frederick Niedner says, that Judas will sit amongst all the rest of us who bear the scars of our own treachery beneath our white robes. Judas will sit amongst all the rest of us who bear the scars of our own treachery beneath our white robes. For so long as Judas remains out there in the night, wandering alone or swinging lifeless in the breeze, there will be tears and aching in the community where his place is still set at the table but where he does not sit. When he has been found, then I know that I too shall have been found and forgiven and loved. John's gospel is actually so focused on this command of love, so focused on this idea of love, that this is the one place in the whole telling that John has of Jesus' story where there's a moral command The other Gospels have all kinds of other, like, do this, don't do that. This is the one time in John's telling of the story of Jesus where there's a moral command. That's it. So if you're you're wondering, like, what's this Jesus thing all about? For John, this is it. If you want to know what to do, here it is. Love one another as Jesus has loved you. John's gospel is also unique in another way. It is the only account of this story, the story of Jesus, that after Judas betrays Jesus, still calls the disciples the twelve. The other gospels reduce it to the eleven and have some process of replacing Judas, but but John, after the resurrection, calls the disciples the twelve. Doesn't erase Judas doesn't assume he's beyond saving. And I believe that John might have had, a, had an idea about this. That Judas is found and forgiven. 
and loved. And so are we. Will talked about the Easter tide that we're in now. It's like the wave of Easter of resurrection has crashed on the shore and now we're just in the water of Easter. This is the resurrection life that Easter tide is about. We celebrate it these weeks after Easter to remember that this is the love that we celebrate. This is the love that holds us, that we're sent with. This love that searches out the traitors out there in the world and in here in our own selves. This love that loses itself for the sake, for others' sake and ours. Friends, it, it's easy, it's really easy to let these few lines be like ethereal and just out there, philosophical. They are not. These words are very practical wisdom for how to live in our world. So all souls, Church of Boulder, receive these words. Love one another as Jesus has loved you. Receive the one who spoke them. Receive the Christ who revealed God's glory by losing himself in love for you. Let's pray. The God who searches us out in the night Christ who searches us out in our souls. Find us. Help us learn to lose ourselves in this same love and see that we might be found in it as well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.